0: Welcome to the Sunday Sermons podcast. It was recorded on a Sunday morning at Morrison Hill Christian Church in Kingston, Tennessee. Our prayer is that the truths and strategies presented in this message will equip you to become a more fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Morrison Hill Christian Church. What a blessing to see actual real people in these seats in this room. We are also incredibly grateful for everybody who's joining us online. We know that not only are they many of our church family, but also people from other states and people that we never expected that would be joining us. We want you to know you're welcome, too. And I know that's kind of weird, me talking to a camera, but this is the new normal. Speaking of the new normal, here's something else, if you could. Take your phone out and put it on um, airplane mode really quick or whatever that's called in Samsung. Uh, We we hadn't had this many phones in here before and our Wi-Fi is a little glitchy. So we would like to have uh, no competition for just a second so this signal goes out strong. Thank you for doing that. I'm going to keep on going. Uh, This has been a season of a lot of change, hasn't it? Just everything is crazy, but it's so wonderful that a few things are the same. Uh, One of those is, it's Mother's Day. We actually get to celebrate Mother's Day together today. And uh, would you give it up for the moms? Also thankful for uh, everybody, Mike Berry and many others, including Billy, who kind of organized it, but uh, we've actually got muffins for you guys, Uh, muffins for moms, if you will. And that's during the the halftime part, uh, the fellowship time. Those are free. There's plenty for everybody, not just the moms. But those have been prepared, I guarantee you, in very sterile and safe environments. They're individually wrapped. We're doing our best. But they're also really good homemade muffins. And I hope that you guys uh, enjoy those and that you love on your moms. Second um, Peter chapter 1 is a wonderful passage that basically walks us back through several of the truths about Jesus and who we are and who he is. In the last verse he says, I know you already know these things. And I know you're already doing them, but it's important to remember them together. And that's kind of what we're doing here this morning. This story of Ruth, I believe, is familiar to almost everyone, but it is such a powerful story of real love. It's such a powerful story that it highlights all the different ways that God calls us to love each other. God loves to create symbols of love. He puts this everywhere. We see it in a father's love. We see it in marriage. We see it in church fellowship, we see it in pretty much every time that anybody chooses to love someone else consistently. There's, even though we are frail and failed human beings, there's a picture of God's love in that when we make that kind of a choice. It's definitely in a mother's love. And we see this all throughout Scripture. For example, in Psalm 22, 9, the psalmist prays this prayer, Yet you, speaking to God, Yet you brought me out of the womb... You made me trust in you even at my mother's breast. At this moment, he's acknowledging not only the love of his mother, the blessing that that was that God uh, gave him, but also that that was from God, that God himself was teaching him to trust him through the way his mother loved him. God's love transcends all of these symbols. Where we fail, he does not. Just and in a very similar way, the, everything in this life It's just a symbol of what the big picture really is, the big picture that God sees. If you remember a couple weeks ago, I shared that C.S. Lewis says that we are spiritual amphibians. What he means by that is that we are eternal beings, but we're forced to live within the confines of space and time. And that gets confusing sometimes. But that is what we are. And when we understand that fully, that gives us the ability to fully live, to seize the day, to seize the moment like no one else. It gives us a perspective that is bigger than life. What John Mayer would say is bigger than our bodies give us credit for. Thank you. Somebody knows John Mayer. (laughs) Job understood this Uh, in Job one twenty one. his famous line, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Jesus honored his mother, had a wonderful mother. Uh, I love that John mentioned that in the communion meditation. Jesus really honored her in many ways. But there was one moment where she and his uh, half-siblings, her children with Joseph, came to try and discourage Jesus from doing what he was called to do. And in that moment, he said, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. He wasn't trying to diss her. He was just saying, look, she is noted as a wonderful woman to be honored because she is righteous, but so is everyone else who does the will of God. So with all of that in mind, as we start this story, here's the one big idea I hope that you capture at the beginning. We, as God's people on earth today, we must consistently choose love. We must consistently choose choose love. The the context is going to change. The different kinds of relationships we have are always going to be different. The circumstances will change. Everything will change around us, but this must never change. We must consistently choose love. What a beautiful story to explore several of the ways that that happens. Ruth 1 verse 1 says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land, so, a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and his two sons with him. And just to be clear, this was an act of bravery, not cowardice. Uh, Moab was not that far away geographically. It was probably kind of hard to walk there. It had to go all the way around the Dead Sea. But it wasn't that far away, but emotionally, spiritually, it was very far away. Moab was an ancient enemy of Israel. They had a long, dark past I don't have time to get into this morning. But uh, Elimelech knew that this was the only way that he was going to be able to save his family's life, to be sure that they didn't literally starve to death. And so he took them where he went. It's a wonderful example of the kind of love where you make hard choices because you know this is just what it's going to take. Where you sacrifice yourself and you make strategic choices to try to be faithful to the ones that you love. It's also a great example of how no matter how wise we are and how strategic we are and how hard we try to do all the right things, we really don't have control because the next couple of verses tell us that Elimelech died and Naomi was left with her two sons in a foreign land. He saved their lives, but he wasn't able to save his own. So then his sons grow up in a foreign country. They marry Moabite women. uh, This was probably hard for Naomi as well because, again, the Moabites were their enemies and known for their idolatry. But one of the things I love is somehow, if you read between the lines, Naomi had to have uh, been a really good example to them. We don't see that spelled out, but what we do see is that Ruth actually wanted to follow her God instead. And that both of them, when it came down to it, loved her and respected her. So, she obviously didn't treat them with relentless disrespect, even though she didn't love their idols. And perhaps she led them to God. We just really don't know, except for Ruth's example in a few moments. But it, it, 10 years later, after they had gotten married, now her two sons also die. So, Naomi also finds out that there's food back in Bethlehem again, and she decides. To go home. And then here's this classic scene. If you've heard this story before, it's probably the most famous scene in this story where the three of them are heading back toward Bethlehem and Naomi stops and says, Hey, I don't need you guys to come with me. You guys need to go back. Before we get any farther, I need to clarify something just in case you haven't heard this story. There's some weird stuff. It seems weird to us. It wasn't weird to them, but in the Hebrew culture, there are a couple of things that they had systems for, and they seem really foreign to us. And One of those is called the kinsman-redeemer system. Again, if you've heard this story a bunch, wonderful, but if you haven't, you've got to understand. Here's how this worked. If someone died in Israel, they understood that people die, but it was an un it was an unacceptable tragedy for them to have a woman who was a widow, not just a widow, but also had no social connections, no inheritance, no land, no way of being supported or supporting herself. And so this system was that if someone died and did not leave an heir, that their younger brother or next of kin, the next closest relative, had to marry his widow. And whatever children came from that union would then get the inheritance that the father would have left, and she would have a network, a social network. Now, that sounds pretty horrific to most of us. I, I don't think any of us want our, li- our, our little brothers marrying our wives after we die, or that kind of a thing. But that's how it works, and, and the, the spirit of it was a good thing. And if you understand that, you'll understand what she says next, and most of the rest of this story. Because what Naomi says to them is this, she says, there's no point you coming back with me. If I was married and had, a chi- had two sons today, you'd have to wait until they grow up till I could give you another husband. You need to just go home. There's no way I can support you. There's no way I can do anything for you from this point. It's actually a selfless moment. It's not a selfish moment. And I don't think Orpah was evil for walking away. But here we see Ruth do something amazing. Even with Naomi pushing her back, Ruth says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go... I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die. There I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. What an amazing, amazing commitment to love someone unconditionally and consistently the rest of their lives. This is actually often read at weddings and sometimes worked into the vows. You you rarely see um, daughters-in-law saying that to their mothers-in-law. But you do see it in, in in the marriage. And it's a wonderful picture of love. In fact, it sounds a lot like the kind of love that Jesus said that we should all love each other with. When he said, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Listen to me. I need you to hear this. Faithfulness, honesty, and selflessness. This kind of consistent love. That's not just a great ideal that we should think about once in a while. That's who we are. That's what we do. As Christians, this defines us. That's why Jesus said this. Our love for one another will prove to the world that we are His disciples. Back to the story. When Naomi saw that Ruth would not take no for an answer, uh, Scripture actually says when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Now this is, this is a hard part of the story. I don't know if you've ever made a commitment to someone, if you've ever expressed your love to someone, if you've ever said, hey, look, no matter what, I'm going to love you. I, I don't know what you're expecting in that moment, but I think most of us would expect some sort of a, at least a thank you. Or something. Well, Naomi says absolutely nothing. And it doesn't tell us how long it takes her to get back to Bethlehem. But when they get there, everybody goes, hey, Naomi's back. And she's angry and she says, hey, don't call me Naomi. That name means lovely. Call me Mara, which means bitter, because I'm bitter. The Lord has raised his fist at me. And then she literally, I'm quoting this, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. And Ruth is standing right there. What a painful moment. What a cruel, heartless, selfless, selfish moment at this it went for her to say that with Ruth right there, having made that unconditional commitment to her. But Ruth stays right there. She stays right there beside her and doesn't give up, doesn't take that any more seriously than it was, and they just move on. Chapter 2. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, who was a relative. And that's a, he's, They think at this moment he's probably the closest relative. turns out, in a second, you'll see there was one closer. But he was a close relative of theirs, and that means he's eligible for this kinsman-redeemer thing. But nobody really realizes that at the time. Like, it's kind of like in the be- Beauty and the Beast, Remember, they don't discover that it's him till chapter three. It's almost exactly the same thing. Man, it's great to have real people in here again. Thank you. <laughs> Actually, there were real people the whole time. It was just a very small group, and they were all trying to be really quiet. So, Thank you. So anyhow, now you have to understand one more system they had. Another thing they said was intolerable, just could not be, it could not be okay, was for the rich to be ridiculously unnecessarily greedy and for the poor to have no way at all of feeding themselves. So this system called gleaning. And whenever it was harvest time, the, the, the farmers were told to be intentionally Careless, intentionally messy. They, they didn't grab every single speck of food. They intentionally left stuff laying around. And then it was the, the poor people's job, basically, to come and collect all that and get the ground completely clear and free. But they got to keep everything that they gathered. So this is what Naomi gets Ruth to start doing. And as it happened, it says, just like in Esther, I love the narrator of this story. We, we know the Holy Spirit inspired. We don't know exactly who actually physically wrote this down, but they're a really great writer. And I love this little almost sarcasm that he's putting in there. Obviously, it's not just as it happened, but that's what it says in the text. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, first time she sees him he walks in and says the Lord be with you and all of his servants respond and the Lord bless you and she goes hey this is a pretty good environment and instantly Boaz notices her and sometimes I've heard this story told and we assume that he notices her because she's a woman maybe because she's especially attractive woman or something like that none of that is in here what he says is He notices how hard she is working. He notices her as a person. And this is incredibly important. He did not see her as a woman. He did not see her as a Moabite, a foreigner. He didn't put a label on her. He noticed her character. He noticed that this was someone who was working really, really hard. And he said, who is that? And they said, oh... That's Ruth, the Moabite woman that came back with Naomi and is taking care of her. He goes, wow. So not only is she an amazing person, she's also sort of family and sort of my responsibility. Maybe I should be really nice to her. Before we go any further, I need to say this and make it as clear as I possibly can. Again, as we consistently love as God's people, we have got to love people, not label them. We've got to love everyone no matter if they are part of our family or our spouse or whatever other relationship we may have with them. It's got to start with mutual respect. It's got to start with understanding that this person you're talking to is an eternal being that is trapped in space and time just like you are. But they are just like you created in the image of God. And in this season right now, this is kind of hard. We're not even allowed to touch each other without everybody getting nervous. It's kind of crazy to remember that. And, and I don't know all the details, but I know this guy named Ahmad Aubrey recently got killed. I don't know the details. I, I can't speak. But if even a tiny part of that story is true, it's absolutely unacceptable. We cannot label people. We cannot see people for their color or their gender primarily. We've got to see them as people who are made in the image of God. We've got to start with mutual respect. We've got to honor those whose character is good. That's what Paul is talking about, about what a wonderful thing it is in the body of Christ because he says in Christ there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. One of my favorite people in history is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And I love this. I'm sure you've heard this as well, but it's always worth saying again. He says, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. And if there's anywhere where that has to happen, it's got to happen in the church. And for some reason, it still doesn't in every church. It doesn't. We've got to fix that somehow. But let's get back to this story. Just keep that in your head and your heart. We've got to fix that problem. Boaz as being relentlessly nice to Ruth as a person primarily. And she comes up to him, but she says, you know, I don't get this because surely you know I'm a Moabite. Why are you being so kind to me? I love his reply. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know everything you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord... The God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. Remember that line. We're coming back to that one in a second. But now, if a lot of people see this as mostly just a, a love story. And if you squint really hard, this is probably where it is. Okay? This, this moment here, because now they've got this mutual respect going on. They've got a, a kind of a deal going on. A, here's the rules. And he's, he's, she knows she can come and eat all her meals with him under the tent. She can come get a drink of water with him and his employees. So there's a daily meeting here. They, they have some sort of a personal relationship at this point. But the story honestly doesn't go into that. If you just read the text, you have to squint pretty hard to see this as some sort of a romantic comedy or something like that. These people are primarily just exercising real love for each other. But at this point in the story, they do see each other. They get to know each other. They eat a lot of meals together, and that's kind of their new normal for a little bit. And then one day, Naomi actually gets the idea and says, hey, it's time, my daughter... It's time that we get you a permanent situation here. It's time for us to get you back in the game, so to speak. And she actually tells her to take a bath and get all fixed up. Now, some people misinterpret this part of the story, too, that maybe she was, like, getting, you know, some sort of an outfit on, trying to be all sexy or something like that. That's That's not what this is about, okay? It's basically that she's saying, you've been dressing and presenting yourself as a foreign widow for a long time. You've been working hard every day, and you just go out there and do your work. Maybe you should take a bath. She literally says that. Maybe, maybe you should, like, you know, put on some nice clothes. Maybe Boaz could start to see you as a woman. Maybe that would be a really good thing, not just a person. And by the way, it's nice to see that you guys remember how to wear things other than pajamas. <laughs> remember how to take showers and things like that. I know that's probably hard for some of us to make that transition back, but congratulations, you're doing a good job. So this is what Naomi is doing for Ruth at this moment. And she goes back and now comes probably the craziest part of the story, especially from our culture, because there's just layers of things that made total sense to them, but don't to us. But she tells her to go to him in the middle of the night, to lay down at his feet, kind of a T-shape kind of a thing, and to uncover his feet until he figures that out and then ask him to cover her with the corner of the blanket. Just layers are weird from a modern American perspective. But it made sense. He knew exactly what this meant. And, and we know that he knows what this meant because of his reply. I'm going to read it to you straight out of Scripture, Ruth 3, verses 10 to 11. He doesn't say, whoa, what are you doing? And he doesn't say, hey, I was hoping you really thought I was a cool guy. Or He doesn't say anything like this. He says, the Lord bless you, my daughter. You are showing even more family loyalty now than you did before. For you have not gone after a younger man, whether rich or poor. Now don't worry about a thing, my daughter. I will do what is necessary for everyone in town knows that you are a virtuous woman. Again, he's seeing who she is and what she's doing. He's honoring her character above and beyond whatever else there may or may not be happening in this moment he sends her early he, he does want to make sure that nobody thinks the wrong thing about her being there in the night but nothing wrong was happening Ruth three eighteen. and then Naomi said to her just be patient my daughter until we hear what happens the man won't rest until he has settled things today and he didn't But before we get there, before we start wrapping up this story and really trying to apply this to our lives, I want to share just a couple more really big thoughts. I hope you can really let this sink into your heart and into your life. We must aim for what is right, not what looks good. We must aim for what is right, not what looks good. And part of aiming for what is right does involve being careful about how things look. Okay? We really do need to be careful. Sometimes... Sometimes we have to make some choices. Romans 14 kind of goes into some details about this. Sometimes we have to make some choices just so we don't make someone else stumble. But ultimately, our big responsibility, our big focus should be on doing what is right, what God thinks looks right, more than trying to please other people. And you see this happening in this situation. You see Boaz and Ruth making some choices in both directions. They're doing some things to make sure they do everything legally and above board. And they're not unnecessarily making people talk about things that aren't happening. But at the same time, they're really focused on what is the right thing to do. A while back, I gave you guys, um, we had a drive-through thing, and I gave you guys these things. And um, I hope that you had some time in there. There are some suggestions for some amazing stories to read. Some of them are even movies. I hope that you got a chance to. But just really quickly, let me highlight some of those. and, And if you haven't already, I encourage you to take some time and to actually explore these stories. They've been super inspiring to me and many others over the years. One is called Through Gates of Splendor. That story tells the story of Jim Elliot and Nate Saint and several others who lost their lives trying to share the gospel with the Alca people of Ecuador. But then the Elliots and the Saints instead of just going home after their husbands got killed and their dads got killed, they actually moved in with the Alcas. Their widows and their children moved in with them. And this guy Mincaye, the one on the left there, he's the one who had killed Nate Saint. Right there is Steve Saint. The rest of their lives, they not only led almost all of those people to Christ, but Minkaye became a trusted friend, almost a surrogate father. And recently he just died about a week ago, uh, roughly. Um, I, I did, don't remember the exact day, but just really recently that was in the news that Minkaye had finally passed. And but when he passed, he was part of the family of God and adopted into the family of the saints, both senses. That's the power of love. That's the power of doing what is right. Not what looks good. Can you imagine how furious their families must have been when they announced that plan to move in with the Alka's? But they knew what God was calling them to do. Brother Andrew is another one. um, He was a man who would smuggle Bibles and other uh, Christian literature behind the Iron Curtain during the entire Cold War. His ministry, Open Doors Ministries, continues to this day and reaches out to people that are being persecuted around the world. But this guy, man, what a story of doing what was right, even when it was illegal, even when it didn't look good or make sense to other Christians. Uh, the hiding place is the third story I want to highlight really quickly. The hiding place happened during the, uh, World War II. The Ten Boom family would shelter people in this place. You see, this is the room that it opened into the secret spot, the knocked out part of the wall there. This is where you could visit it today if you go there. But the, not, behind there is, is this place they call the hiding place. Little, tiny, basically a closet. But they they would hide Jews there so that they could shelter them and then smuggle them out of the country and save their lives. It wasn't easy, but they consistently chose love. And even when they ended up paying for this with their own freedom, they went to concentration camps, and everyone but Corey Timboom was killed during this experience. But again, they did what was right, not what looked good to their neighbors, not what looked good to the government at that time. And again, like we looked at last week, part of being a Christian, part of the way we show our reverence for Christ is submitting every possible way we can to authorities. But ultimately, ultimately, we must do what is right, not what looks good. Does that make sense? All right, let's wrap up this story and uh, look at this awesome stuff that it tells us about our lives today. Ruth chapter 4, verse 1. Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. And just then the family redeemer he mentioned came by. This is that other guy who's a little bit closer to him in the family. Notice his strategy. He knows exactly where this guy's going to be, where there's going to be a crowd, where there's going to be witnesses and all the things. that he, He's got this all planned out. He doesn't even have much time it, But this is a smart guy. He's being really strategic here. Also, you'll notice as you read it in the original text, and I hope you do, I hope you take all this home and reread this story just straight out of the Scriptures. But you'll notice this is the only time that he uses the words, Ruth, the Moabite widow. And the reason is, it's not because he suddenly saw her that way now, but because he hopes that other guy's going to see her that way in this moment. He's going, hey, uh, you're actually closer in line to me to get this land than I am. Would you like the land? The guy's like, absolutely. he goes, well, you know it comes with a Moabite widow. And the guy goes, oh, I'm out. Here's my sandal. That's another thing that sounds strange to us, but that was normal back then too. He said, here's my sandal. We we got this, here we go. And then in front of everyone, he says, you guys are my witnesses that today I'm going to take over this land and I'm also going to take Ruth as my wife. And then the people, they pray, kind of shout out this this amazing blessing. It's really interesting, the things that they say. They shout out this blessing to Ruth, and they say, they pray that God will make her like Rachel and Leah, the mothers of the tribes of Israel. In other words, they're going to be, they hope that she will somehow be in the line of the Messiah. She's going to officially be part of God's people. And then they ask that Boaz will be more prosperous and famous than he already is. And they say that they hope that their descendants will be like the descendants of Perez, which is Boaz's ancestor. Now, really quick, just highlight, I I need you to realize what they're saying there because it's very important. Perez did not come out of a cool situation. To say that they want their descendants to be like the descendants of Perez... It's to say, we want your whole life to be a story that people tell and tell, that God can make good come out of anything. Perez came out of the story of Judah and Tamar. It was a terrible story. I don't have time to go into that. But several generations later, his descendants, had there there was a a man named Salmon, Salmon. And Salmon married Rahab the prostitute from the stories of Joshua. Another example that God can make good come out of just about anything. When people turn their life around, no matter where they're coming from, they can come into the family of God. And then their son, um, (coughs) sorry, Salmon and Rahab had a son named Boaz. He marries Ruth, a Moabite widow, but they have a son named Obed. And he has a son named Jesse, and Jesse has a son named David king david that king david and all of these blessings that these people were shouting to them came true this story has an incredible happy ending but we can't miss the real message of it we must each play our part in god's big plan because here's how it works brothers and sisters never forget this god's ultimate will is going to get done whether we like it or not He's going to get stuff done whether we like it or not. But he, part of his non-negotiable will is that we always get choices that actually matter, that actually shape our own story and shape the stories of the people to come. That's why in Ephesians 2.10, Paul writes, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. That's why Jeremiah wrote um, God's own words to him down when God said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb, before I set you apart and appointed you as my prophet to the nations. I believe this is also key to what Jesus said in John 14, 12, when Jesus said, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I am going to the Father. Greater works than Jesus? See, that's what Jesus said, so it has to be true. But I think one of the mistakes that we sometimes make is we assume that has to be miracles. But how do you get miracles that are better than helping blind people see? Or helping the lame walk? Or helping the dead rise? The only thing I can figure out, and I'm just a human being, it makes mistakes like smacking my microphone just then. But here's what I believe, and I really do believe this. I believe he was talking about the miraculous, supernatural love that God can create among his people. That the greater things, absolutely they include miracles, absolutely that's still on the table, that God could still make those miracles happen, but the greater things that Jesus was talking about is building an entire kingdom that lives by his rules, building an entire family that loves each other consistently with the love that he told them about and modeled and gave them a chance to have. Ruth 2.12, told you I'd come back to it, here we go. Boaz had said to Ruth, May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. And at the end of the story, that came true too. Everyone is rewarded fully in this life, which doesn't always happen, but it did happen in this story. Everybody gets a happy ending. But I already told you part of the beyond that story happy ending. They had a wonderful legacy We're still telling their story because of what they did and how they did it in the moment. And brothers and sisters, that is the ultimate dream of a spiritual amphibian. It's to live these few moments that we have the right way. And if we do, there's a chance that there will be a lot of payoff even in this life, but there's a guarantee that there will be a legacy in heaven and on this earth after we pass on. That is the dream. That is at least one of the greater things that Jesus is hoping that we will accomplish. Romans eight twenty eight, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So many symbols of love in this story, so many symbols God has. But listen, we're wrapping up, and this is my challenge that I'm making to you this morning. Please hear this. The ultimate symbols of God's love are Jesus Christ Himself and the body of Christ. Those are the ultimate ultimate images that God gives us. Marriage is right. It's part of that. It's beautiful. There's so many other wonderfuls. A father's love, a mother's love. They're in there. It's part of it. But His big dream, His big thing that He was hoping for all along is Jesus Christ the Messiah and the kingdom that the Messiah created. And here's what that kingdom should look like. We consistently choose love. We refuse to label people, but we honor each other for our good character. We help each, other, help each other develop good character. We aim for what is right, hopefully making it look good too, but even when it doesn't look good, we aim for what is right, and we do the right things that God wants done. And we each play our part in God's big plan. I don't know where every single one of you is this morning in this room with God at this exact moment. Those of you that are joining online, I don't know where you are, but here's what I know. You can reach the next step right now from wherever you are. The grace of God is there. And if you need to choose love, choose to refuse to label people, choose to aim for something's right that you know is on your heart, but you haven't had the courage to do. If you know something has been on your heart. You just need to make this happen. Maybe it's giving your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe it's giving your life back to him. Maybe it's officially joining this church body or deciding to be a missionary. We don't know what God is on your heart, but we know that you can get there. And I encourage you to take that first step right now. That concludes the Sunday Sermons podcast. You can respond to the invitation you just heard where you are right now don't waste this opportunity to change your life for the better. If you've made a decision or are interested in learning more, please visit us at morrisonhill.com.